You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, have you heard the news? It's all the rage these days, kids. Nathaniel Hackett is off to the New York Jets, which is absolutely freaking hilarious. Last year, one of the main points of speculation was whether or not the Denver Broncos would want to trade for Aaron Rodgers, if that was going to be a a thing. And then Denver hired Nathaniel Hackett, and that went up to 11. This year, all the talk is about the New York Jets. And then the Jets hired Hackett. In fact, there are still people in Denver, a lot of people that believe that Hackett was hired specifically as a recruiting tool for Aaron Rodgers. I don't think that makes the most sense. But it's entirely possible that that maybe kind of moved the needle a tad. I don't know. I know, uh, what's his name, the the Denver Broncos beat reporter guy who's really popular. Oh, he, right at the top of my Twitter here, Benjamin Albright. He says that's absolutely not true, but I don't know how much of that I trust because he does have good sources, which means he would have asked the Denver Broncos or people within the organization, and what are they going to say? Yep, that's right, we just hired him because we wanted Rodgers. Of course they're not going to say that. So I don't know. I don't know. But that has really driven up the speculation. Um, hilariously, there, there's there's two different takes that I've seen. One, that there's no way Rodgers is going there. And two, that this obviously is going to make sure that Rodgers goes there. Now, I will say that there is a point at which it could possibly make sense in terms of why would you hire an offensive coordinator just to help you recruit somebody that's stupid? And it is in a way kind of stupid, but if you're a desperate organization like Denver was last year, where you look at it and say, we are just a quarterback away, at least that's what everybody said. It's what everybody's saying about the Jets right now, by the way, which is probably going to be proven wrong come next year when they get a new quarterback and they still suck. But that was the whole thing. They've got this elite defense. They've got Jerry Judy. They've got these elite weapons. They've got everything they need. They just need a quarterback. And if they can get a quarterback... They're set, and they go out and get Russell Wilson, who's one of the top quarterbacks, and it's like, this this is going to be a wild situation. And, of course, Russell played like garbage, et cetera, et cetera. But you could see that if you're the Jets, where you would look at it and say, I believe with a truly top-tier quarterback, we can get the job done. And you're looking at um, offensive coordinator candidates, and Hackett, it, it's not as though he's a garbage offensive coordinator. He did a great job in Green Bay. The Denver thing was was obviously him as a head coach as opposed to an offensive coordinator. Um, so that doesn't super play in, but maybe kind of. And so you can kind of look at it and say, well, he's he's a if he's a top three candidate and you are all in on getting Aaron Rodgers, if that's an option, wouldn't you hire him? Now, again, I don't think that that's the case because we still don't even know if Aaron Rodgers is going to retire or be back with the Packers. And there's clearly a higher than 50% chance that it's one of those two options as opposed to the third in which he does come back and they do trade him. But even if we leave aside the part where this was all planned and orchestrated, we can still say that if this were to go down, 
where Aaron Rodgers is looking to be traded, it does, regardless of whether that was the intention or not, it does position the Jets um, more favorably toward Aaron Rodgers. I mean, again, what does a guy want? Does he want receivers? They got him. Do you want offensive line? They've got it. Does he want defense for the one of the first times in his entire career? They got it. You know he's got a ton of respect for Salah. You know he likes Hackett. What does a guy need? What does he want? Where would he rather be? I mean, maybe he doesn't want to be in New York. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't want to do it because that's what Favre did, but I, mean, I don't know how much that's going to weigh on his decision. It definitely makes things interesting if, if it does come out that Rodgers decides to come back and that they're going to pursue a trade because it's just one more thing that you can put over the Jets uh, in the Jets' win column, unless you think he doesn't like Hackett, but I don't think that's the case. Now, I think the even worse, um, what would you call it? Here it is, Connor Hughes, who is, who is Connor Hughes? NFL reporter for SNY TV covering Jets and Giants. He says, feeling around the NFL was Nathaniel Hackett was going to sit out in 2023. Took a beating in Denver, going right back in, opens him up to immense criticism, if not perfect. In other words, if he comes back right away and the offense sucks, he's in a lot of trouble. So he goes on to say, because of that, it's hard to imagine Hackett signs on without understanding of the quarterback he'll be working with, with the Jets. No offense to Connor. I think that's nonsense. First of all, I think if his biggest concern is, I need to make sure that wherever I go, the offense is going to be on point, you're not going to the Jets. You're not going to the Jets. The Jets suck. They've always sucked. And they don't have the most crucial piece, which is quarterback. And you can't guarantee that Rodgers is going there, or anybody else for that matter. So I don't think that lines up. But even worse than that is the second part, where he says, it's hard to imagine he's going to sign on without understanding the quarterback he'll be working with. Which is to say, it's hard to imagine he went there without a clear picture of who the quarterback will be. Meaning, it's not Rodgers. In other words, they guaranteed him, this is the situation moving forward. It's somebody on the roster, because you can't tell him who the quarterback's going to be if it's someone in the draft, and you can't tell him who it's going to be if it's somebody you haven't acquired yet in free agency. It has to be somebody already on the, on the roster. So let me get this straight, Mr. Connor Hughes. They had a meeting, and Nathaniel Hackett sat down and said, look, I, I got to make sure that wherever I go, you know, th- this is a uh, successful endeavor. So I need to know your plans for the future. And they're like, don't worry about it, bud. We got it. We got this young guy. His name is Zach Wilson. He's so good. I mean, he's not, but I, I, think, uh, I think this is the year. 2023 is year three. It's when everything clicks for him. It's going to be great. Or even if they didn't say Zach, if they said Mike White or Joe Flacco, what about that is going to make Nathaniel Hackett go, oh, whew, I was worried that this would be a bad offense. That doesn't make any sense. I get that he's a Jets beat reporter, so maybe he doesn't realize how much, well, he probably does because the Jets are pretty, or fans are pretty brutal, but... You have to know that these guys suck. What sense does that make? Bottom line is you can't take the first paragraph and the second paragraph and put them together. If you want to say that he needs a good understanding of who the quarterback's going to be, fine. Saying he needs to know who the quarterback's going to be, and he went there, which means he does know who the quarterback's going to be, and it's somebody on the roster, and he needs to make sure that this is a very, very good team, no chance, because no way he got a guarantee of a quarterback moving forward and believes that this is going to be a really good situation. The only thing that could have happened as far as the quarterback is concerned is if they would have said, we're going to do everything we can to bring in somebody better. We're going in real hard for Rodgers if he's available. Otherwise, we're already trying for Lamar. 
We've making some phone calls and making some headway with that. We're talking to to Dallas about maybe moving Dak. You know what I mean? Like something. Otherwise, we're we're very willing to get somebody in the draft if that becomes available. But the bottom line is we're ready to ready and willing to do what we need to do to upgrade this position because I think we're ready to compete at every position except quarterback. That's possibly the situation. But to say that he knows who his quarterback is going to be and as a result decided to sign with the Jets because he needs to make sure that he's got a good situation and now he knows who the situation is and so everything's fine, you're out of your mind. No chance. In fact, I think if you erase the second part or at least alter it, I think that's when you get um, the most value out of this. If you just read the first part of the tweet, the fact that he had a terrible time in Denver he thought he was going to, people thought he would probably sit out, but the fact that he's coming back in, he needs to make sure this is successful. I think that makes sense. And as a result, you're right. You do need to have a, a, an understanding somewhat of the quarterback situation, not the quarterback he'll be working with, which is how he phrased it. No, 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 no. He needs to have an understanding of how they're going to make sure the quarterback situation is better moving forward. I think that makes more sense. Otherwise, we can just throw out the first part and say, yep, he knows who the quarterback is going to be. But I guarantee you that was not contingent. Like, listen, I'm not coming here unless you tell me that uh, this guy right here is the quarterback. Yeah, right. Nobody on planet Earth is going to make their job with the Jets contingent on the fact that uh, Zach Wilson or Mike White or Joe Flacco is going to be the quarterback. Hey, I'm only coming here unless you promise me you're not going out and getting somebody of value. If you're doing that, then just, just forget it. I'm not doing it. That doesn't make any sense. But look, honestly, what I think it is, you've got a team that was successful with the, uh, a group of guys that were successful with the 49ers. Hackett has some familiarity, having worked under Matt LaFleur, so the terminology and all these things make sense. So they're going to marry up these concepts. They're going to figure out how to work with these guys and make it work. Obviously, um, Nathaniel Hackett has a lot more experience as an offensive coordinator, even prior to working with Matt LaFleur. Also has head coaching experience. He's got a lot of experience and uh, also understands the system. So it's just a, it, it, it's a good fit. I think that's that's the bottom line here. I don't think it's because they they are only hiring him to go get Rodgers. And I, don't, I certainly don't think he took the job because he knows Rodgers isn't going to be there. And instead, it's going to be Mike White. That, that makes significantly less sense to me. So again, I hate to be the old wet blanket and come in here and say this doesn't tell us really anything. But I think what makes the most sense is that this doesn't tell us anything in regard to Aaron Rodgers. Nothing. Doesn't mean they're not going with Rodgers. Doesn't mean they are going with Rodgers. But anyways, as a, as a final uh, thought on this, here is, um, I don't know, somebody talking about the situation. And it just kind of goes in depth on, again, common sense. Well, Mike, it really always made sense that Nathaniel Hackett was going to be the play caller for the New York Jets, even though, as Robert Sala said today, they interviewed over 15 candidates for the job. What he was looking for was somebody with experience in play calling, which Hackett had done in Buffalo and in Jacksonville, where he actually worked with Robert Sala for a couple of years. They wanted somebody with a familiarity with West Coast principles. Of course, the previous coordinator there was Mike LaFleur. Hackett had worked under his brother, Matt LaFleur, in Green Bay. So there's some similarities in terms of the offensive scheme that they're going to take over. 
And more than anything, they get a guy who's going to come into the building and they believe help them elevate this offense with what they fully anticipate to be a veteran quarterback in the room. With Hackett, you also get somebody who is extremely high energy. He has worked with a lot of different quarterbacks, hasn't always had top-level quarterback play, but he had the number two offense in the league in 2017 calling the plays with Blake Bortles at quarterback and was the offensive coordinator, albeit with Matt LaFleur calling the plays when Aaron Rodgers won back-to-back NFL MVP. So anyways, there's Tom Pelissero just explaining why there's plenty of reason to believe that this is a common sense move that makes a ton of sense. And that's aside from Aaron Rodgers, right? In other words, he doesn't have to be a part of the calculus in order for this to make tons of sense. So final point on this, because I know, again, this is going to be kind of a big thing. Um, and, and it is extremely interesting. It doesn't, I don't think, have anything to do with Hackett, but it somewhat parallels it, I guess, because, you know, again, somebody said that the quarterback situation with Hackett is why he went there. But um, here is Robert Sala talking to the media um, when asked specifically about the quarterback position in regard to the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett. His potential hire, did you say, like, look, these are the guys we're going to try to go and get? No, the the quarterback position, obviously, with all the different interviews, were was the number one concern, uh, and rightfully so. And it was, it was so. First of all, the number one concern that Nathaniel Hackett had was um, your quarterback sucks. So why should I come here? That's essentially what he's saying. It was simple. We're committed to uh, finding a veteran. Uh, we didn't get into names. Uh, um, I, I doubt that he's even studied. Uh, he hasn't studied those guys yet, which he's going to uh, start uh, next week. But um, but we didn't get into specifics on names. But it was it was uh, talked about that we do plan on bringing a veteran quarterback if we can. Uh, we do want to continue working with Zach and uh, um, and continue to develop him. So this is honestly the first actual bit of real news that you could use in terms of tying Rodgers and the Jets. Not because we know that Rodgers is even coming back, much less being traded or has any interest in going there. But we officially have, and we didn't need an insider for it, Salah told the entire world for everybody, they want to go get a veteran quarterback. Now, again, it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a somewhat crowded market. We'll see. Maybe the Ravens come to a deal with Lamar. Doesn't necessarily seem like it. There are plenty of options uh, for veterans. But again, he went there only because they made a commitment to f- improving the quarterback position. So we at least know they're interested and they're on the market. And, and I'll throw this out there. They are firmly committed and you can, you can be positive that they're going to do everything in their power, which means if we ever get to that point, again, Rodgers comes back and they decide they can't work it out here, so they're going to have to work out a trade. This is what I was talking about in regard to why would somebody overpay or pay a bunch of money or whatever else. This is why. Nathaniel Hackett is only in the building because you promised him that you would bring in a talented veteran quarterback. And there's no question Aaron Rodgers would go immediately to the top of the list if he became available for the Jets. No question. Again, what did he say? He said Nathaniel Hackett is about to start his homework. That's what he's going to start working on once he gets in the building and kind of gets acclimated, whatever. First order of business, go find a, go look at the quarterbacks around the league. We'll give you some names, again, Lamar and some others that are potentially available. I can't remember the other guys. And go figure out what makes the most sense. Go study him, go see what kind of fits the scheme, blah, blah, blah. If, if Rodgers becomes available, they are going to overpay for him. No doubt in my mind. There is no more perfect fit. Nathaniel Hackett is going to walk right into their office. He's going to say, I shouldn't even need to tell you. 
that's the guy we got to go get. Not a question in my mind. You promised me a veteran. You asked me to specifically head up the operation in finding the right guy. How could there possibly be any more of a right guy than the guy that that was my quarterback the entire time I was in Green Bay? So I'll say this. The Jets didn't hire Nathaniel Hackett specifically to get Rodgers, although that may be a slight perk. Nathaniel Hackett did not take the job in New York because he was promised to get Rodgers because we don't even know if Rodgers is coming back. Both of those things are nonsense. It was a good hire because it was a good hire. However, that's pretty interesting information. I mean, even even if you remove Aaron Rodgers from the equation, it's interesting information that the Jets are going to be going out and heavy players in this quarterback market. But, I mean, we, we are only one decision away from, in my opinion, Rodgers being a Jet. And, and listen, he could torpedo that deal if he doesn't want to go there. But again, Hackett's there. You got everything you need. Why wouldn't you want to go there? What, what, what's a better destination that the Packers are going to agree to and another team is going to agree to? What would make more sense? Tennessee, because apparently he built a house there, maybe. But they shipped away all their weapons. Their best wide receiver is in Philadelphia right now. Their defense is completely falling apart, as is their offensive line. That's not a better situation. He does like the head coach there, but that's about it. Plus, the other thing that's great about the Jets, from the standpoint of Aaron Rodgers, is the Jets organization is stupid. And if you're a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, you want to go to a stupid organization. You know why? Because they will overpay to get you anything and everything that you want. When Tom Brady picked the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, make no mistake, it was because he would have total and complete control. If Aaron Rodgers walks into that building, he's going to do it on the condition that you're going to get me exactly what I want. And they're going to say, yes, sir. Anything you want, sir. Because he's their only hope. They haven't been a successful franchise in forever. I don't know if they've ever had since uh, Joe Cool a good quarterback since before I was born. So I don't know. Again, this is probably all for nothing because, again, I still tend to think that a trade is the least likely. Maybe I don't know about least likely. I'm starting to think that uh, retirement is least likely. (laughs) But I still think Rodgers coming back to Green Bay is, is, is... by a slim margin, the most likely, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But again, that is, as far as I'm concerned, the first actual real development as far as information that could point in that direction. Not in terms of we're getting closer to a trade. It has nothing to do with the Packers and nothing to do with Rodgers. It just has to do with if a trade is, is, is happening, if that's what they're working on. This is the first place we're looking. It, it, for every reason, makes the most sense. And every time I say that's the last thing, and then we're going to move on because there's something else I want to talk about, I find something else. I got to get off Twitter. Uh, this was posted, uh, a retweet to Adam Schefter's thing with Nathaniel Hackett, the Poor Man's Packers podcast on Twitter, PMP Pod. Um, video that they dug up here. I'm going to play that for you. There, there's nobody in the building that brings me more joy or uh, is more fun to be around than Nathaniel Hackett. Hack has been uh, a really important part of our culture change and a part of uh, our success on offense. I love him. Hope he doesn't go anywhere, unless I do. So again, just throwing it out there. If, if <laughs> a trade is imminent, the New York Jets would be the uh, the place to look. And I, I'll be honest, again, um, maybe the fact that Hackett being close with Rodgers is a tiebreaker, but you don't hire him just for that reason. I tell you what, if you're desperate for a quarterback, 
you could probably be like 17th on the list. And if he comes in with a laptop or something and plays that video, like, oh, do you have a resume for us? I do. Just play that video of Aaron Rodgers saying you are his favorite person on the entire team, on the entire staff. And um, yeah, the Jets are going to be like, oh, <laughs> okay, you're hired. Which maybe, maybe that is why Denver hired him. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know things. I just say things. Anyways, I think that's it. I think that's it. I'm scrolling. I should stop scrolling. I don't see any more videos that are interesting. Oop, I do see Rodgers, but I'm not going to even listen to it because I don't want to know. Why don't we take an early break? On the other side of the break, I want to explore something. We're going to get away from what we've been doing. I've been trying to think, like, you know, I'm when I started this podcast, I was big, especially in the offseason on, like, projects and assignments and, like, fun little experiments and, like, whatever. And I was like, what could I do? What could we talk about aside from quarterback? I know we already talked about quarterback, but it is what it is. And I thought, you know, we've been talking about, a lot of times I'll bring things up and it's like, I don't really know. It, 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 whatever. And you do that enough times and it's like, maybe you should start knowing or at least starting to form an opinion or starting to look into it. And one of those areas where I kind of just gloss over it constantly is when I talk about Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs. And, and, and the way that I talk about it is, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe Christian Watson is going to be a superstar. Maybe he's going to regress. Maybe he's going to be the same guy he was, which is good once in a while, but not, you know, always great, you know, kind of like Eric Stokes. We all assumed Eric Stokes would be great because his rookie year was good. And if you're a good rookie, the expectation is you're going to be a great second, third year guy. And then he kind of started off and was like, well, this isn't as good as I remembered him being. And then he got hurt and it was like, well, all right, whatever. Now we kind of forget he's even on the team. Romeo Dobbs. I don't know what to think. Is he a superstar waiting to be that kind of got interrupted by an injury and had a couple issues? But no, he's like, actually, really, he's going to be better than Christian. And we just kind of forgot. Did he have a good couple weeks to start the season and that was overblown and he's going to regress? Like what? What? Let's at least start looking at it. And what I want to do, first things first, plenty of ways that you could look into this, but just kind of tip of the iceberg. I want to do some comparisons. That is to say, Find people that had similar starts to their season and look at what happened to them. Because it's easy to say, dude, if he did that, he's going to be a star. Guaranteed star. Boom. Done. Or, you know, he's going to suck or whatever. And it's not just the two wide receivers. I want to try to find comps for the rookie class because we all think we know what's going to happen, which is stupid and obnoxious. And I do it too. I'm not saying you. I'm saying us as fans. We make determinations about how good or bad people... Sean Ryan's a bust, he's a bum, he sucks. Granted, he's a third-round pick, so I understand where that comes from. And he didn't start, so it's like 0.0%. But but who's to say? Who's to say? Zach Tom, he is going to be a superstar replacement for David Bakhtiari. That's done. Write that in ink. Good to go. Do we know that? Of course we don't know that. He might be a nobody that five years from now we're like, dude, you remember Zach Tom? We thought he was so good. Man, we're stupid. We just assume because he had like a couple good games. Like, oh, he's this freak, whatever. He was garbage. Kingsley and Igbare. Oh, he's, he's so good. So let's start exploring by trying to find similar players who did similar things their rookie years and just figure out what happened to them. Did they become superstars? Did they go down into the trash? Whatever. But anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break? Please consider giving if you can, if it's within your power, and I'll let you choose. Do you want to give to a worthy cause? Do you want to help people that are in need? 
please look at Fertile Ground Ranch Discipleship Ministry over at FertileGroundRanch.org. It'll take you five seconds to type that in. Ten if you're a slow typer, it's fine. Plus, you got to figure out how to spell some of those words. Fertile can be tricky. Some of those things where the vowels are kind of like, is it is it fertile, fertile, fertel, fertile, fert, fertile? I'm guessing ground and ranch you can figure out, though. Also, Google's pretty good at figuring that stuff out if you're not sure how to spell fertile. It's fertile, by the way. It's also what's annoying about this language. It's like, you don't know how to spell fertile? It's like, well, maybe it's because it's spelled in a way that nobody says it. Who says fertile? It's like people that say fut- it's futile. It's like, no, dude, it's futile. But you are right, that's how it's spelled. But still, it's not how you say it. Stupid if you say it like that. It's fertilegroundranch.org. If you want to support what I do because you like me, you think I'm a cool guy, and you're like, you know what? He is worth about a dollar. If you don't think I'm worth a buck, that's fine. A buck a month, I get it. I'm kind of stupid. This podcast is not that entertaining. If you're not getting a dollar worth per month value from this show, I get it. Fair enough. If you're like, nah, this guy's worth maybe like four cents a month. If that's the case, Fair enough, dude. It's up to you. You get to decide. But if you think I'm worth a buck a month for 30 days a month, one hour content. Yeah, I'm going to guilt you right now. We're, we're doing high-pressure high sales. This is timeshare time right now. You want that cruise? You want these tickets to the cruise? You're going to sit here. You're going to buy this $50,000 timeshare. I actually bought a timeshare. It was the worst decision of my life. Fortunately, we were one of the few that actually was able to get out of it. It was awesome. Uh, but anyways, it's like... Top five greatest days of my life is when I found out we could get out of the timeshare. Don't ever buy them. If advice like that is worth a dollar a month. By the way, I have a second podcast that I do. So I'm doing like 60 podcasts a month. If the 60 podcasts per month in your mind is worth $1, $1. Do you know how, do you know how much I feel like a piece of crap knowing that like 95% of the people listening are like, this isn't worth a dollar to me. Do you know how much that sucks? Do you have any idea? If it is worth a dollar, I would love it. Sorry about the chairs. That's, that's why nobody gives to Patreon. That's why everybody's leaving Patreon. That's why I'm purging patrons. Because my kids keep scratching chairs across the floor. That's the problem. I'm going to tell them they're not getting dinner tonight. If you want my kids to have dinner tonight, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can do that. Personally, I think I've earned a buck, buck a month. But um, again, I understand if you don't think so. It's totally fine. Totally fine. It's for, yeah, I'm, I'm stupid. Forget me, dude. I'm a stupid idiot. My kids don't need to eat. You know what I mean? We'll be fine. We like grass. It tastes good. <laughs> I'm, you better hope nobody gives to Patreon, because if I get a $1 donation, this is every day. It's going to be every day. Would you stop with the chairs? Why don't we take a break? We'll come back, and uh, we'll, uh, oh my good lord. We'll take a look at the rookie class. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. 
Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, let's kick this thing off. Um, let's start with the wide receivers. We'll do a position by position, and we'll start with the worst news and work our way up. And by worst news, I just mean the worst receivers. And um, The lowest graded receiver we had was Samori Ture, 49.3 PFF grade. If we go back a year, 2021, the l- only person that was graded lower than Samori Ture this year was Racy McMath at 48.7. Racy McMath was a sixth-round pick by the Tennessee Titans. He had um, five targets, two receptions, eight yards, 48.7 PFF grade. Samori Turi, by the way, only had three more receptions. He did have a bunch more yards and uh, a touchdown to add to that, but it's not all that different. Seventh-round pick compared to sixth-round pick, five receptions compared to, what was it, two receptions, um, 48.7, 49.3. It's basically like 1.5 PFF grade difference. Racy McMath went from a 48 to a 56. He went from two receptions to two receptions, eight yards to 40 yards, zero touchdowns to zero touchdowns. He did go up a decent amount, eight PFF points, but ultimately he's the same guy. The only other guy that's somewhat similar would be Daz Newsom. Daz Newsom was also a sixth round pick. 2021, he had a 48.1 grade. Picked up in the sixth round by the Chicago Bears, but he did not play in 2022. What about those third-year leaps, though? Let's go back to 2020 and find out those guys that were in similar situations uh, in their rookie years. Once again, it's hard to find people that graded out quite as low as he did. There weren't many. I think the closest is probably K.J. Hill. He was a seventh-round pick, selection uh, 220. Uh, Samori was 259, but still seventh-round pick. He had a 55 grade, a 53.7 receiving grade. As a rookie, he had seven receptions, 73 yards. So similar, he had a bunch more receptions, but about the same amount of yards. He actually went backwards in terms of his production, three receptions, 30 yards, but up to a 67 grade. The bottom line did not really make himself a major presence on the team. You had uh, Freddie Swaim, who was a sixth-round pick. Um, He had a 55 grade, which is higher, but whatever. 14 receptions, 187 yards, and two touchdowns. He did take a step forward production-wise in year two with 25 receptions, 343 yards, and four touchdowns, but it went down as far as his 50.3 overall PFF grade. And then he got shipped off to Denver, and then later that year he played for two different teams. So he played Seattle two years, then went to Denver, didn't even make it through the year before he got shipped off to Miami. I think if anybody is going to kind of highlight some potential, like this guy could actually be really good, it would be Jawan Johnson. Jawan Johnson in 2020 was a free agent, which, let's be honest, Samori Turi was like three picks away from being a free agent. Um, He had a 56 PFF grade. He had four receptions. 39 yards, zero touchdowns. 
Year two, this is the Saints, by the way. I'm really sorry about the noise upstairs. I don't know why. I think they're just having a stomp party. Um, year two, it went from four receptions to 13 receptions, from 39 yards to 160 yards, from zero touchdowns to four touchdowns. Then in year three, he went from 13 receptions to 42, 159 yards to 508 yards, and four touchdowns to seven touchdowns. His PFF grade went from a 56 to a 67 and then to a 64. So it, it's, it's kind of leveling out at a 60. So, listen, if I had to guess as far as what Samore Turi would do, it's nothing much more than what he did, which is a 49 PFF grade, five receptions, 82 yards, and a touchdown. I don't expect him to be a big part of the team moving forward. But, again, if you're looking for a, a glimmer of hope, Juwan Johnson makes a decent amount of sense. Wildly different types of wide receiver. One is uh, Samari Ture is 6'1", 191. Juwan Johnson is 6'4", 231. But, you know, doesn't not really relevant to the, to the thing, I guess. But, uh, but I do think the full body of work points to the fact that um, he's probably not going to be super amazing. Romeo Dobbs was a fourth-round pick. He ended with a 62.6 PFF grade, a 62 receiving grade. Very similar to that would be Josh Palmer last year. Josh Palmer had exactly the same um, PFF grade, 62.6. He was a third-round pick, so he went a little bit earlier. In year two, his PFF grade didn't go up very much, 62.6 to a 64.6. However, Josh Palmer had 33 receptions, 353 yards, and four touchdowns. That's very similar to Romeo Dobbs. Dobbs had like 10 more receptions for 100 more yards and one less touchdown. And again, exact same PFF grade. Josh Palmer the next year went from 33 receptions to 74 receptions, 353 yards to 800 yards, and went from four to three touchdowns. So the touchdowns went down, but everything else went way up in terms of his usage in the offense. The only other guy that somewhat lines up is, again, another third-round pick, uh, Nico Collins, who went to the Texans. His first year, 65.6 grade. 33 receptions, 446 yards, and a touchdown. Very, very similar. Um, Again, Dobbs had uh, a couple more touchdowns, but otherwise pretty on point. His next year, he went from a 65.6 to a 72.4 PFF grade. He went from, um, he had similar receptions and similar yards and all that, but still 37 receptions, 481 yards, and two touchdowns. And that's with the Texans. So in those two cases in which were similar, uh, both of them had better grades more targets, more receptions, and I think one had one less touchdown, but they got better. If we look at the third-year leaps, it's mostly bad news with the exception of one. We'll save that for last. I pulled up five different receivers that were somewhat similar. Tyler Johnson was a fifth-round pick in 2020 for the Raiders. Um, Bottom line is he just completely fell off a cliff. So he had a 59-grade, similar. This is lower, but similar. 200 yards, two touchdowns. The next year, 400 yards, zero touchdowns, 54 grade. And then he went to Houston and had zero targets, zero receptions. Devin Duvernay, we've talked about quite a bit. For the Baltimore Ravens, was a third-round pick. He had a 60 grade, 200 yards, no touchdowns. The next year, he had 272 yards, two touchdowns, and went down to a 55 grade. In his third year, he's up to 400 yards, three touchdowns, 67 grade. So it's an improvement, but after three years, he's still just barely sitting at where Dobbs is at as a rookie. Um, Quez Watkins was a sixth-round pick out of uh, uh, Southern Miss, but went to the Philadelphia Eagles. 
He did make a jump in year two, but then fell back off. So he went from a 61 grade to a 68, back down to a 55. His yards went from 100 to almost 700, but then back down to 350. So not massive. You know, after three years, I'm expect if you're going to be a guy, I'm looking for 800 yards, minimum of five touchdowns, right? I mean, you're you're like a legit number two guy. 300 yards, three touchdowns, and 55 grade is garbage. Um, Quintez Cephas from the Badgers was a fifth-round pick, just one round later than Romeo Dobbs. Um, Detroit Lions guy, 350 yards, two touchdowns, 65 grade, very similar to Romeo Dobbs. Uh, the next year, 200 yards, two touchdowns, 70 grade. So the grade is fine, but the yardage went down. Year three, um, and this is largely due to injury, but three targets, two receptions, 15 yards, also due to Amon Ross St. Brown, let's be honest. And I, I'm actually not positive that it was an injury. They might have just kicked I mean, like kicked him to the bench. I'm not positive. I just see that he didn't play very much. We'll call it an injury. Um, the one bit of good news here is a guy that you're probably familiar with, and that's Gabriel Davis for the Buffalo Bills. Um, 66th grade as a rookie, fourth-round pick. He's uh, 6'3", 212, which doesn't super matter, but again, not all that different. But um, he had 684 yards and seven touchdowns. Now, that's more than Dobbs, but not by a massive amount. 425 yards and three touchdowns. It's more, but whatever. The very next year, Gabriel Davis had 791 yards and 11 touchdowns, and then the next year, 982 yards and eight touchdowns. His PFF grade did go back down from an 81 to a 66 in year three, but the fact that he went from 684 to 791 to almost 1,000 yards and his touchdowns were 7, 11, and 8, um, again, it's not all good news, but there's definitely examples, including Gabriel Davis. Um, So ideally... The best case scenario for Romeo, and, and there's plenty. Again, th- those guys who had their second-year leaps, a lot of it was good. And even, even the somewhat bad news, again, Quintez Cephas was never seen as that good of a receiver. I remember they were looking at like his 40 time and everything else, like, I don't know if this guy's ever going to be anything. And it wasn't until he went to Detroit where I was like, oh, no, it's actually kind of working a little bit. And then again, there's this year where I'm presumably an injury. I'm not going to look into it because I'm not that interested. But the point is, though, the body of work for Romeo Dobbs, because if you find a guy that that's a comp in terms of just having a 62 grade from two years ago, but he only had 50 yards, you're going to find most of these guys didn't pan out. But it's the fact that the comps that I had to find were guys that had hundreds of yards and and a few touchdowns. Um, You're going to find more of those guys that did have sustained success. However, let's get to the fun part now. Christian Watson, because now I got to find rookies with 77 grades, 77.8 receiving grades, 611 yards and seven touchdowns. Now, I'm not going to find an exact comp, obviously, but we got to find guys that are similar. Okay, simple enough. The easiest comp by a mile from 2021 is Devontae Smith. First of all, speedster on the outside, so that matches up. 77.1 grade, Devontae Smith had a 77.7. Christian Watson, 611 yards and seven touchdowns. Devontae Smith, 976 and five touchdowns. What did Smith do in year two? He went from 976 to almost 1,300 yards, five touchdowns to eight touchdowns. His 77.7 grade went up to an 81.1. So this guy that came out as a rookie and it's like, okay, yep, no, he's a star. He continued to prove that and got even better in the next year. And there's no reason to believe that Christian wouldn't do so even more so because the bottom line is Devontae Smith, week one, seven targets, six receptions, 71 yards and a touchdown. There wasn't like this 10-week warm-up period where we're like, hey, let's give this guy a shot. 
Um, I think if you're looking on the negative side, Elijah Moore for the New York Jets. Elijah Moore uh, was a second-round pick in 2021. He had 538 yards and five touchdowns. Again, relatively similar to Christian Watson, about 100 less yards, a couple less touchdowns. But Elijah Moore in year two went from a 71 grade down to a 57. He had 100 less yards and four less touchdowns. He did miss a part of the season, but he played all the way through week 13, so it doesn't really add up, especially when you look at PFF grade. That has nothing to do with cumulative stats. But you look at some other comps, uh, Jalen Waddell, obviously he was a six overall, so that's not a super great comp, but he had a 78.3 grade, very similar to Christian Watson's. He went from 1,000 yards to 1,400 yards, 78 grade to an 82 grade, six touchdowns to eight touchdowns. And then uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. Now he was a fourth round pick, but still um, 79 grade compared to Christian 77, 912 yards up to 1,100 yards, five touchdowns to six touchdowns. So aside from the one comp, the three guys that made the most sense, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and Amon Ross St. Brown, um, three out of four clearly point to, no, he's, he's, he's solid, dude. If you go back a year, um, not as good a comps, but the three that stand out would be uh, Brandon Ayuk, who had an 80 grade, which is obviously higher, but 748 yards and five touchdowns. His 80 grade did kind of go down, but more or less stayed the same, 76 and then 79. His 750 yards went to 951 and then 1114, just went straight through the roof. His five touchdowns went to five and then eight. So again, it's it's all pretty much straight up aside from the PFF grade. It, it, there, there wasn't that massive fall off. Now, he was a first-round pick, but he was pick 25, so that is still very close. Uh, you also have T. Higgins. T. Higgins, second-round pick, six foot four, 219. Kind of similar build. Again, second uh, pick 33, so very, very similar. 76 grade. Again, Christian was 77. 908 yards, went to 1,400 yards, and then 1,194. So yards went straight through the roof. PFF grade went from a 76 to an 83 to a 77, so that stayed high. Touchdowns went from 6 to 8 to 7. So T. Higgins did not fall off. And then finally, Chase Claypool. Claypool's grades have gone straight through the floor, and he was a second-round pick. And yes, he went to the Bears, which is probably the biggest part of the problem for his final year. But 75 grade, he went down to a 67 grade, and then uh, 61 this year. Um, his time with Pittsburgh, he had a 61 grade with Chicago 62, so it wasn't just Chicago that made him look bad. His yardage went from 932 to 885 to 451. He went from 11 touchdowns as a rookie down to two the next year, and then one the year after that. So Claypool is the guy that you circle and say, I hope he doesn't turn out like that. And in reality, they are somewhat similar. I mean, he's 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 not uh, he's not quite as fast, but at 6'4", 200 and almost forty pounds to run a four four two, the uh, the the height weight speed thing is clearly in the freak category. He's again, he's not as blazing fast as Christian Watson, and maybe like a Jalen Waddle or or whatever would be a better comp. But um, this would be the one again again the one example of the oh she especially considering the touchdowns. The fact that he had 11 touchdowns, that was kind of the biggest asset that he had. And that immediately plummeted down to two the next year and then one in his, you know, in 2022 with two different teams. But everybody else, as best as I can tell, showed that he is probably going to stay at about that level. And again, considering Christian Watson didn't start until week 10, you can take that mostly second half 
and apply that to an entire year. Again, I, the touchdowns will come down. That's not going to stay. I, I shouldn't say total touchdowns, but the, the touchdowns per, let's say, uh, route run or something, that's coming down. But if he can stay at about a, a 75 to 80 grade, start pushing toward 1,000 yards, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10-ish touchdowns, you know, between 5 and 10 touchdowns, that's solid for me, especially if we're going to continue to invest. If we're going to find that really solid tight end, if we're going to get that number two guy, whether that's Dobbs or somebody else or JSN or Michael Mayer or uh, Washington or Addison or whoever, we're going to, we're going to add to it. And then whether we're bringing back um, uh, Aaron Jones, which again, I assume we will or whatever. But the, the point is, if he can do that part and just stay at that level, and then we can add other weapons or retain or whatever, we're going to be solid. And I think what makes sense is the most likely, if I had to pick that was going to be a star, would be Christian Watson. Most guys that come out that are early round picks, that have a big pile of yards and a really high PFF grade, they turn out to be great receivers. For Romeo Dobbs, it's a little bit more nuanced. Mid-round guys with average PFF grades, but a decent amount of production, um, probably higher chance of success than your run-of-the-mill fourth-round pick, but kind of 50-50 between he's going to be solid and he's just going to fall off into obscurity. And then Samori Ture is sort of that 1-in-10 shot, right? Most of these guys are just going to kind of vanish and be swept under the rug. And if we do draft other people, I mean, Samori's not going to rise to that. He's not going to be able to compete with Christian and Romeo Dobbs and Jordan Addison. But there is always that one guy, whether that maybe, you know, so maybe somebody gets hurt or whatever, and he has forced into that role and ends up shining as a result of that. I don't know. Anyways, um, let's move on to uh, Quay Walker, because I think I have a pretty solid comp for Quay Walker, and that's my man Jammin Davis. First round pick, pick 19. Um, Quay Walker, by the way, if you weren't aware, did not have a very good grade. He was the lowest graded defensive draft pick that we had, one of the lowest graded uh, draft picks that we had, 51.9 grade, 34 run defense, blah, blah, blah. But uh, Jammin Davis had a 46.8 grade, uh, but he played a ton. So first round pick that played a ton, but didn't really grade out very well. This is the guy, 56 tackles, uh, six sacks, or six pressures, one sack, whatever, 46 overall grade, 48 tackling or run defense grade 46 tackling grade he first of all did increase how much he actually played but most importantly he took a big jump in year two in terms of how good of a player he was he went from a 46.8 grade to a 62 defensive grade from a 48.6 run defense to a 66 his tackling went from a 46 to a 75 his pass rush went from a 57 to a 66 his coverage went from a 48 to a 55 across the board he went up and then if you look for that third-year leap, uh, there's quite a few because most, as I've said, most linebackers are kind of bad. You got Kenneth Murray, you got Patrick Queen, you got Jordan Brooks, um, and even Isaiah Simmons, although he was a, an eighth overall pick, but all of them were quite bad. Quay Walker, again, 52. Kenneth Murray had a 54 PFF grade. Uh, Patrick Queen was a 29. Jordan Brooks, 50. Isaiah Simmons, 59. So all of these guys were first-round picks in 2020. All of them were in the 50s, with the exception of Patrick Queen, who was in the 20s. Um, Kenneth Murray would probably be the closest. He was at pick 23, 6'2", 243, 54.4 grade, 
Again, similar to uh, Quay, but not super great news. He went from 900 snaps, almost 1,000 snaps, down to 300, and then back up to 700. He is PFF grade 54, 34, 47. Run defense grade 60, 43, 28. Tackling grade 71, 43, 61. So, I mean, his rookie year, which was not great, was his best year. That's bad news. Jordan Brooks would also be, he was picked 27 in round one. Again, similar to Quay. 50 grade went from a, to a 58 and then a 52. So he stayed in the 50s. Run defense has always been kind of high, 73, 74, and then down to a 65. Tackling 72, 77, then 66. So his third year was, was his worst year, probably. Uh, the only reason that his overall grade was a little bit lower is because his coverage went up from his rookie year of a 29 up to a 40. So he's still terrible in coverage. So Jordan Brooks never really got better at anything. And the same is mostly true with Isaiah Simmons. The only difference is Isaiah Simmons, uh, his overall grade did get higher mostly because of his pass rush. Terrible run defender, mediocre tackler, and his coverage grade is a 69, which I guess is fine. But for an eighth overall pick, um, that thing that I mentioned before about we probably shouldn't draft linebackers in the first round because the track record is terrible, it kind of holds true. Even Patrick Queen. But Patrick Queen is actually probably the biggest success story, and he was the worst of the group. Uh, he was picked 28, so I guess we could use him as something. But he went from a 29 to a 43 and up to a nearly a 70. So the worst rookie of the group is probably the best linebacker of the group so far. Uh, it took until year three, but again, 70 overall grade. 78 pass rush is his best asset, which it seems like is the biggest thing now these days with linebackers is they're only successful if they can be pass rushers because Micah Parsons became an edge rusher. Uh, Patrick Queen upped his grade by becoming a good passer. His coverage is a 65, his tackling is a 52, and his run defense is a 64. But bottom line is it's not super fantastic news, I guess. Most of these guys did not really get better. What about Devontae Wyatt? Well, the good news there is Devontae Wyatt at a 69.9 is graded higher than every single rookie defensive tackle last year, and there were 29 of them. Devontae Wyatt ended with a 69.9 grade. The highest graded player was a 66.1, and that was fifth-round pick Davion Dixon. Or Davion Nixon. Yeah, Davion Nixon. Uh, he did get worse, but he's a fifth-round pick that hardly plays. So there really aren't a ton of comps. Uh, Christian Barmore would probably be the closest. He was a uh, second-round pick by the New England Patriots and did play a ton. He went from a 63 to a 68, so he did get better. Um, run defense is terrible, but got better. His tackling got a lot better from 50s to 70s. His pass rush got better. Everything got better for Christian Barmore in year two. Uh, Alim McNeil for the Detroit Lions went from a 60, basically a 60 to a 70 in his second year. He's a third-round pick that had a 60 grade. So again, not as good as... Devontae Wyatt. If you go back to um, 2020, there are several that had pretty good grades. Three of them that actually played a decent amount. Uh, Doug Costin of Jacksonville, Justin Madbuike at Balt in Baltimore, and Raekwon Davis. They had 68, 70, and 71 grades. Costin uh, did go backwards and didn't play much, but he's an undrafted free agent, so that's not a super great comp. Justin Madbuike was a third-round pick, so again, not the greatest comp in the world, and he did unfortunately go backwards from a 70 to a 50 to a 60 hasn't really played I mean well I guess his play has kind of gone up a little bit 
But his third year, 63.8 grade, 64 run defense, 28 tackling, 63 pass rush. He had 32 pressures and six sacks. But the best comp is going to be Raekwon Davis, who is a second round pick. Unfortunately, he also went backwards. He had a 71 grade as a rookie. Uh, he went down to a 36 in year two and a 43 in year three. So again, none of this is is telling us what's going to happen. It's just providing context. Because it's easy to look at Devontae Wyatt and say he was the highest graded guy in the entire class. He's going to be a freak. If you look at Raekwon Davis, who was, I was obsessed with Raekwon. No question about it. If you've been listening, you know that was my dude in that draft. He was one of the highest graded rookie defensive tackles. He has completely fallen off a cliff. I don't know why, if it has to do with changing defensive coordinators or what. Maybe it's just the scheme issue that they're having there. But to go from a 71 grade as a rookie with 14 pressures and a sack um, to five pressures in a sack, 36 grade in year two, and then to just stay down, it's shocking. But again, you look at last year, nobody was as good as Devontae Wyatt. The only guys that were even close got quite a bit better in year two. Every reason to be excited. All right, what about Zach Tom? Everybody is 100% positive he's going to be great. Zach Tom, Mostly played left tackle, but played a little bit of left guard, 96 snaps, 84 at right tackle, and 14 at right guard. He played all across the line. But he had a 68 overall grade, 78 pass blocking, 55 run blocking. The best comp I could find from 2021 is probably Walker Little. He mostly played left tackle, 219 snaps there. Um, Again, our guy had uh, 295 snaps at left tackle. He had a 68.5 PFF grade, almost identical. 70 PFF grade, 61 run blocking. Again, nearly identical. He, uh, the next year, played a little bit more, but went completely backwards. He went from a 68 down to a 61. His run blocking went from a 61 to a 60. His pass blocking went from a 70 to a 62. He went from giving up six pressures to 17 pressures. He's a second-round pick, by the way. Not a ton of other great examples, including 2020. There's just not a lot. Um, Mekhi Becton, Mekhi Becton is kind of close, but not really. He had a 74.4 grade as the number 11 overall selection. He went down to a 67 grade. Um, Matt Peart with the Giants, he was mostly a run blocker, which is exactly opposite, but he started off with a 69.7 grade as a third round pick. So very similar as far as overall and where he was selected. He went from a 69.7 down to a 63 and then down to a 49. He just downward spiral straight down. The only glimmer of hope I could possibly give would be Andrew Thomas, but he was the number four selection overall. Uh, But he did have a 62 grade that went to a 79 and then a 90. But again, that's a completely unfair comp because he was drafted number four overall based on just elite attributes. So there's not a lot of comps, but none of them are good. (laughs) So wait and see with that guy, I guess. And then I think the last one I want to look at is Kingsley and Igbare. There is Tariq Carpenter, but, you know, not really going to look at that. But Kingsley, 465 total defensive snaps, 61.4 PFF grade, 25 pressures on 255 attempts, which is right at 10%, which is fine. And then three sacks on top of that. Uh, Quite a few guys that could be similar comps to Kingsley. Um, Kingsley Enigbari, as I'm sure you know, is a fifth-round pick. Couple guys from the 2021 class. Um, Deo Denigbo is not the greatest comp because he was a second round pick, uh, but 61.4 grade puts him the closest as far as PFF grade goes. They were exactly 61.4. 
he only went up to a 62.6. He didn't play a ton as a rookie. His second year was a little bit closer, actually, honestly, to uh, what Kingsley was. But the bottom line is he really didn't get any better. Uh, 61.4 to 62.2. He had 12 pressures on 141 attempts. He went up to 25 pressures on 291 attempts. So hovering in that slightly less than 10%, call it 9% range. Uh, Jonathan Cooper had a 69.1 grade, which is slightly higher. Seventh round pick in 2021. Um, He went backwards slightly, 65.2. He had 23 pressures on 265 attempts and then 19 pressures on 999 attempts. So again, hovering in that slightly below 10% range. Um, Chauncey Golston, third round pick. Very similar snap counts. He had a 57.4 grade. He did jump up to a 69.3, but again, both of them, uh, both years hovering in the sub 10%. Uh, And then the best two comps probably are Quincy Roche, who is a sixth round pick. Um, Unfortunately, in his second year, he didn't play very much, which leaves us with the comp. uh, Poof. Adetto Konbo... Ogundiji. He was a fifth round pick, just a handful of picks later. I think Kingsley was 179. He's 183. 54.2 is a slightly lower grade, but still, um, he dropped from 54.2 down to a 43.8. He had, and, and he played a ton, and he continued to play a ton. 527 snaps, which is more than Kingsley did. Now, he was a, to be clear, he was a worse player, not just overall grade, but he only had 11 pressures on 259 attempts. That's bad. But he still dropped off quite a bit. And and again, as far as when he was drafted and all that, probably the closest comp. But I will say the good news, if you wanted to find a guy that was similar in terms of snaps played, but also pass rush, it's probably Chauncey Golston. He went a couple rounds earlier, but he had 23 pressures on 250 attempts, which is again, pretty close to Kingsley, who had 25 on 255. He's the one that got better as far as his PFF grade. He played less, which I don't think is going to happen to Kingsley unless we draft a guy, but even then, he'd probably still play a bunch. But um, he went from 57 up to almost 70 PFF grade. And then if you look at guys from two years ago, there's actually five pretty solid comps here. All of them were fifth-round picks. Um, uh, Michael Dana would be the closest in terms of the actual selection at pick 177. But he played 389 snaps had a 63.2 grade, so very, very similar. Uh, however, a significantly worse pass rusher, 16 pressures on 215 attempts. But the good news is he did get slightly better. Definitely not a dominant player, but 63.2 to a 63.8 up to a 67. So consistently average, but honestly, I would probably take that with Kingsley. If you can just maintain as a quality, let's say, number three, number four pass rusher, assuming we add some talent, and I hope we do. He's number three right now. So if we add a guy, he'd be number four until Preston leaves, whatever. But I'm fine with that as a depth guy. Um, Alton Robinson was a fifth-round pick, pick 148. He went from a 67 down to a 51, which is pretty devastating. But again, as far as pressures, slightly worse, 18 pressures on 207 attempts. Um but he did not play a ton in 2020. Well, I guess he did. He didn't play at all in 2022. And then finally, Khalid Kareem, edge rusher for the Indianapolis Colts, was a fifth-round pick at pick 147. He had um, nine pressures on 130 attempts as a rookie, 59 grade. He went up to a 64 and then up to a 70. Unfortunately, though, his snap counts went down. 
So what I can say definitively, although again, this is relatively small, we're talking five, six, seven, eight guys that are decent comps. The bottom line is none of these guys turn into superstars. So I think with Kingsley, although everybody's an individual, everybody has different circumstances. Obviously he was seen by some people as a much earlier pick. You could look at, for example, AJ Epinesa, who was a second round pick that I didn't look at because I figure he's a second round pick, but you could look at him. Not that it would matter a ton because his grades are not super great, but his, his pressure rate is 30 pressures on 286 attempts. But anyways, um, everybody's different. However, I don't personally expect Kingsley and Igbari to be anything other than like a solid rotational pass rusher. That's just me personally. So anyways, I, I think in summary, one of the things to keep in mind, and I'm not, you know, we're, we're not, I don't think the fans are necessarily over the moon about anybody, the exception of one or two guys. But I think perspective is important because what we looked at tells us very clearly that if history is any indicator of how these guys are going to turn out, one, maybe two of them, you know, Quay Walker, unlikely to get better. Hope he does, really do. But compared to what everybody else has done that was drafted in his position, had his grades, all that stuff, none of them really got all that much better. Devontae Wyatt is probably more negative than positive. Um, Christian Watson was mostly positive. Zach Tom, not positive. Kingsley, not positive. Um, Romeo Dobbs, not positive. And the problem is, we come into this with expectations that Dobbs should be a star, um, everybody should be a star, Quay should be a star, all these guys should be superstars. And then we're, when they're not, we look at Gutekunst and say, this guy's a bust. Because we have no concept of what, you know, I mean, listen, every year, hundreds of people are brought into the NFL. Every single year. Guess how many top 10 players there can be in one position? I'll give you three guesses. The first two don't count. It's 10. You can only have 10 top 10 guys, right? And you got guys that are in the league for 10 years. So, you know, you're talking thousands of football players. The odds that the, the, the fact that we expect guys to come in and be top five, top 10 players is insane. Now, listen, if you take a guy in the first round and he's a bust, if he's a bum, then he's not even on the team, he's not playing, or he's really bad, yeah, you can criticize the GM. But we got to adjust the way that we have our expectations. Because nobody else is doing what we expect the Packers guys to do. Nobody else, you know, the, the, again, if, if Quay Walker takes a jump and is a top 20 linebacker next year, that is unbelievably rare in terms of what we've seen historically from a lot of other of these, you know, first round linebackers. If Devontae Wyatt becomes a top 20 defensive tackle, that's incredibly rare from what we've seen from young defensive tackles, even first round guys that grade out well. There haven't been very many. He's in a very select few, but of those select few, none of them became premier players at the position. None. Even Christian Watson. The expectation, you know, 70, 80-ish, maybe an 80 grade, probably 800 some odd yards and seven touchdowns. That would be solid if he could do that. Top 10 wide receiver, though, that's, that's pushing it. And I'm not saying that's the expectation, but that what I'm saying is it shouldn't be. But if there's anybody with high expectations, it's him. Nobody else really. I mean, Romeo Dobbs, there's maybe a one in four chance of him 
becoming that solid number two, just based on what we've looked at. Fourth round pick, mediocre grade, mediocre yardage, mediocre everything. What are the odds that he becomes a 750-yard, five-touchdown receiver? Call it one and four. Kingsley, Samori. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I, I listen to the calls that come in, and I hear what goes on, and I see what happens on Twitter and all that, and it's, dude, I think Samori is going to be a star. I think Dobbs is going to be a star. I think Quay is going to be a star. I think Wyatt's going to be a star. I think Zach Tom is going to be a star. And we put this weight on all these guys that you know for a fact they can't hit. Maybe one of them does, but I promise you most of them, if not all of them, will not reach that, that level. So this was just sort of a, uh, it's, it's, again, it's perspective. What has everybody else done that's been kind of where our guys are at? Because we always feel like they're special, you know, like no, nobody's ever been. We, nobody, we haven't seen a guy like Dobbs before who's been able to do that from the fourth round. Well, here's four of them from the last two years, and here's what they did. I'm just, I mean, I, you know, again, I, I know my, my whole job, and it kind of sucks lately, has been to be the wet blanket. But the problem is, if we don't do that, if we don't stamp out these fires when they start, they run out of control. When the thing that we think and want and everything doesn't happen, everybody loses their freaking minds. And maybe we should stop expecting these things to happen so that we don't lose our minds. That's all I'm saying. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have a great night, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye.